0: Welcome to the All of Life podcast from Redemption Church Tempe, where we have conversations on faith, culture, theology, and beyond to help us live all of life, all for Jesus. Let's jump into today's episode.
1: Well, welcome everyone to the All of Life podcast. I'm Jim Mullins. I'm here with Josh Butler. Hello. Co-lead pastors here, and we thought today for for this episode, we would give you a, a little snapshot of what we're thinking for the vision of 2022, the incomplete, unpolished, half-baked version.
0: You get the cookie dough today. Yeah. Yes. The, uh, yeah, in formation, but not quite out of the oven, piping hot yet. That's
1: right. And part of the reason for that is, uh, you know, rather than giving the polished stuff— kind of let people in on the process a bit. And also, um, if people have ideas, that could be really helpful. Now, with saying that, I've got to give the caveat. Uh, here: If you want to send in an idea, there's two things. One, you must do the interior soul work to know that there are hundreds of ideas of good things we could be doing that we won't be able to do. Number two is if you're going to send us an idea of something we should do as a church, uh, you have to be fully prepared for us to ask you to take Don't on a whole <laughs> load of responsibility to help execute it. So, with that said, feel free to to reach out. Um, now, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the process,
0: Yes, think like the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: so um o- over the past two months, we've been doing this for the past few years of uh, sort of a prayerful listening, strategic planning. That has included um, a number of different things, Uh, times of prayer. We have got this 11 a.m. prayer where we're doing a lot of listening. There was a few days of fasting, Um, discussion with people in the congregation, doing a SWOT analysis, discussion together. We did a few surveys. A guy named uh, Andrew in our church uh, brought some good demographic data up and um, just paying attention to what are the big themes of what it seems like the Spirit's doing in the congregation, and then and and just trying to crystallize them. Probably my favorite part of the process is something we do called listening sessions, where we pick uh, a handful of random or folks in the congregation, different folks in the congregation that we want to hear from. And Josh and I both did listening sessions where we have a handful of questions for folks. Um, as you, as, what was that process like for you, Josh?
0: Yeah, it was really great. You know, uh, just with some intentional questions for a variety of uh, leaders and people within the congregation, and getting to hear uh, just perspectives on what kind of things are uh, really standing out and helpful, and just what God's been doing uh, in the in the life of the church through the, their eyes and. I'll um, also hear in some, you know, growth points or areas that we could, you know, we could be growing in. And and what was really interesting was to hear common themes emerging throughout those. It wasn't like, uh, you know, a dozen different conversations that all were disconnected. It's like, oh, there's some common themes that are really standing out and that it was resonating with stuff that we've kind of been prayerfully thinking about, talking through as a team and, uh, you know, as leadership here. Uh, it, it was very affirming or confirming of things that we sense God doing, uh, but also brought further clarity and insight uh, Mm -hmm. to how to best go about it
1: yeah if there was one comment that someone said that god sort of just etched on your heart like if your memory was going to be wiped out and you can only remember one statement you don't have to say who the person was i'd probably be violating something but like what's the statement what's the thing that sticks with you
0: yeah um I think it was uh, when someone said that they thought I was like a mad scientist. Really? <laughs> no, 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 no. Did come up with an object? As far as the the thing that someone said related to listening, uh, a hunger for Bible engagement mm-hmm. was one of the. Big, I know we're going to get into that in a minute, but that was that was a big uh, a big theme that come at, that came out uh, repeatedly. And not that we don't engage the Bible, obviously that's central, but uh, that there's real hunger. I think in in this this. Age and kind of this moment that we're in, uh, surrounded by so many voices and influences, like that theme seemed to come up repeatedly, and I'd want that one etched in just because of how prominent it was.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about for you? For me, I would say it was it was the prevalence of the how podcasts. Ironically, we're on a podcast, seem to be replacing. Uh, the Holy Spirit in some ways hmm. um, in some people's lives. Humble admission of this, of like uh, this constant voice that you're listening to, you're paying attention to, it's shaping you. It's kind of replacing engagement with scripture. So some folks were really deeply engaged with theological po- podcasts and could talk theology, but weren't engaging scripture itself as much. And then uh, the, the constant attentiveness to a voice is not the, the spirits leading, but the like voice coming in through your headphones. And so yeah, that 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 stood out to me. Um I think that there were certain podcasts um, that could compete with the Bible as far as how much people engage them this year in 2022. So that mm. that uh or in twenty twenty
0: one. Yeah. Well it was interesting too. I mean, you may have mentioned this at one point, but related to that, how much uh it seems like many How much the national conversations have been driving Mm -hmm. so much of where our heart or emotions have been at as a people in many ways. When, uh, which, which you know, there's a place for that, but uh, where it hasn't as much been some of the more pressing things right here in our, you know, within our own lives, families, friendships, community. Some of the things that have really been pulling on our our emotions as people that, that seem to come up have been some of these bigger conversations that are very beyond our control in many ways, you know, as the people, uh, yeah,
1: for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, before diving into kind of our big three priorities that we landed on, I want to at least have a little conversation about the person who might say, you know, we've got this strategic plan sitting on our desk here. Uh, strategic planning isn't really depending on God it's not depending on the spirit like if you put plans and goals and those sorts of things are you really trusting in God what, what would you say to that person
0: read the book of exodus ah. <laughs> and leviticus and where you know like like you actually see throughout God like there's a lot of planning and intentionality that's going to actually shape their processes and things for uh years to come and and even uh and so i i think that uh In my mind, there's a healthy tension to hold uh, between um, what I heard one author refer to as like both form and fire, you know, both kind of the structure that that I think planning can provide, which can help bring clarity to a team. Like if you're going to be a community of people pressing into some common things together. you got to have clarity to do that well. And strategic planning provides a chance to provide clarity, like organizational clarity, like clarity for uh, leaders, for teams, for the life of the people as a whole, you know, that we can actually be on the same page of knowing what we're pressing into. Um, And then having the nimbleness, you know, where, yeah, dude, we're attentive to God and if he... Pulls us in out of the direction. Twenty twenty feels like a great example where we had our big plans in January, and then boom! All right, we're Did going we? a different way. <laughs> yeah, <so>. we, yeah.
1: <laughs> and, I mean, we had plans in twenty twenty that was were all about like getting people at the table together. Face, we we're using language Just like face, face, to to face to face. And, yeah, <laughs> um.
0: and so there's a flexibility and a nimbleness. You know, I don't think uh, strategic planning needs to circumvent that, but it's. Um, but I think those go well best together rather than apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you? What would you say to that?
1: Yeah, I think that there are a couple of false dichotomies at work. One is that the the assumption that the Holy Spirit is only spontaneous and can only work like in the moment, versus the Holy Spirit can work in planning. Uh, I remember talking to a, a preacher once who was like, "Preachers should never use notes. Uh, should never <laughs> prepare for their sermons. They should just go up there and do." With the Holy Spirit, you will not like my service Yeah, like. yeah, and 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 the assumption behind that was that the Spirit couldn't work in the process yes. of preparing a sermon. So if we go through this whole process and there's no prayer, if it's just uh, deriving our own kind of wisdom, just purely looking at strategy, you know, and uh, demographics and things like that, then. We probably are using a document to replace the spirit. Um, And so, yeah, there's the can the spirit work in the moment and work ahead of time. And then also, I think another false dichotomy is that if you're using your brain, if you're using your gifts, if you're thinking about things, that that's not dependence on God. And the reality is uh, God gave us our brain. And unless you got your brain from somewhere else, like to use it is to utilize a gift uh, a gift that God gave us. Um, so, uh, yeah, those are—and and Scripture holds these things in tension, too. You have, you know, James 4, which talks about the foolishness of saying, you know, tomorrow we're going to go uh, uh, spend a year here and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring, right? So— there's a way in which you have to hold these things loose. But I also think that there are a number of proverbs that are calling for planning, that are calling for wisdom. Mm-hmm. One tension that I love is just uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. So it was not I, but the grace of God that was in that is with me. And you have Paul's talking about his ministry, his apostleship, and you have both of these things of like hard intentional work, but it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God working through that, empowering it. But there is an element of like legitimate hard work and mm-hmm. those held intention. Yes. Uh so Anyway, Mm. I think it's important to know that we hold these plans loosely and God can change and redirect. But to the best of our ability, this is our attempt to discern how God's leading us. So, yeah. Um, With that said, let's jump into the big priorities. We kind of landed on three big priorities that we want to push into over the next uh, year, maybe, uh, maybe a little longer. But let's let's talk about those. So, uh, big picture number one is
0: word and spirit. Yeah. Yes.
1: So, uh, give us a snapshot of that, Josh. Like, yeah. what, what do we
0: mean by word and spirit? Definitely. So, word and spirit. We want to help our you know us as a church to encounter God's word and spirit. And uh, we talk about word and spirit. First off, we're talking about the person of God. Like God is Word and Spirit. We're talking about the second and third persons of the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. God is always working through His Word and His Spirit and creation and redemption. Uh, We're talking about encountering the fullness of who God is. Uh, But part of what this means practically is encountering Word and Spirit through deeper engagement with Scripture and with prayer. We Mm -hmm. want to be a people who are encountering Jesus, the eternal word of God, through scripture, the written word of God, and actually growing in our understanding of the biblical story and uh, really the a confidence in the truth of who God is and his story for the world. Uh, and likewise, we want to grow deeper in our life of prayer that uh, there is a beauty and a power of communing with the God of the universe that we have access to the presence of God and the power of God by his spirit and so we want to um not not just like prayer as a to-do list a thing to check on the to-do list but prayer is uh, developing that communion of relationship of intimacy and of encounter with the very person of Jesus through his spirit and so at the heart of all that is going man we 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 want uh along those lines the idea of a word and spirit campaign this week would be going, man, what would it look like for us to be a people who are above all marked by God's word and God's spirit, Mm -hmm. by a deep uh, immersion and engagement both with Scripture and with prayer that our lives are saturated in that. And that's a means to life in deep communion with God. And I I think, too, part of that is recognizing that there are some tensions in— different church cultures at times where there can be a tendency nationally to just look at different movements or different things. And sometimes there can be a heavy emphasis on word, but to the detriment of spirit at times, or other circles, there can be a heavy emphasis on spirit to the detriment of word. And I think what can happen there is you can get word kind of disconnected from spirit and kind of become like the frozen chosen type thing, right? Where we got like all the right doctrine, all the right beliefs. We could like check off whatever doctrinal bullet points whatever but there's not really like the lived experience of life with god and communion with him at a deep rich level On the other side you can get kind of the spirit disconnected from word and uh in some circles you can get kind of what we call like the flags and snakes kind of very highly expressive performative at times manipulative hey god told me you're gonna marry me like that kind of stuff you know like stuff that can actually feel like dude this feels like a power trip if it was uncomfortable and um, in, in uncomfortable for the wrong reasons, you know, like, like, because it can get misused and abused at times. And so uh, often because it's not rooted in a healthy foundational understanding of God's word and his yeah. word. And so what we want to say is we want to be a both end community a community that holds together God's word and God's spirit, because we believe word and spirit are held together in the very identity of God.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and that's really crucial is that these are not separate priorities that this is one priority held together yes. word and spirit. Um and that's that that is important. I mean, you kind of mentioned life like what it looks like when there's the word without the spirit and the spirit without the word for people who are listening. And uh they were Going to self diagnose. Mm. What would be some symptoms of where you're emphasizing the word without the spirit? Like, what give some symptoms to it and, uh, yeah, see, yeah. see if people resonate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. So, uh, well, as far as symptoms, um, one of the things that, you know, Jim, Jim, you and I have kind of talked about and developed has been this like spectrum where. I think I used the language of Frozen Chosen a minute ago, but we also called it kind of stick up the backside or stick on the butt, where it's, uh, you know, that's more of an extreme version of just like um, uh, very suspicious and cynical towards anything having to do with the experience of God, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of us, I think, are not there. It can be a little further in on word... having some word without spirit, we, we've we called kind of like the um, edge of the swimming pool, right? And so the mm-hmm. idea, if you find yourself in a spot where you're going like, Dude, I believe that God's given me his spirit. I believe that Jesus is able to be present. I see other people, it seems like living in that, but I don't know that I can trust it or I'm afraid of getting taken in or I, I feel like I, I, I can trust what I, you know, I can read in the pages of scripture, but I, I'm really nervous to actually press into that myself, and uh, and I think one sign of it is often can be a weak prayer life, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. It's like, yeah. dude, I, I don't know that God's actually present to me, you know, like yeah. by his spirit. That's gonna, yeah, I don't know that I can actually ask him for the things that are really close to my heart. Like if you find prayer being more of a place to perform for God, mm-hmm. as a checklist you gotta check off and thing you gotta do, rather than a place to be honest with God and to really seek him and listen to him and commune with him. You know, like yeah. those could be signs of, I think, um, you know, kind of being on one end of the the, the word end of the spectrum. Yeah. The
1: well, and, and I would say with that yeah. is also uh, Galatians five, the fruit of the spirit. Mm. Here's an evidence of this. You know, your Bible and theology really well, but when you are honest with yourself and you look at the fruit of the spirit, joy and patience and kindness, which often gets relegated to the junior varsity fruit of the spirit. It's like, it's in there, uh, self-control. Um, if that's absent, then, then, then that's a real symptom.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and that's, and that's something to really be, uh, it doesn't mean you're all happy, clappy all the time, but if, uh, if basically you're the Bible jerk, like, (laughs) that's evidence that you are probably using the bible in the same way that a fantasy football player engages uh statistics and everything it's really interesting you you can it, 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 it's something you love to talk about and and those mm. sorts of things but it's not f- forming mm. you and it's not the spirit of god bringing the conviction bringing the illumination of, of the text yeah. um and drawing you into deep communion.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned joy. I think that's one that, you know, we just depict one of those fruits of the spirit. You know, I, I think uh, there are many of us, um, like you said, it's not saying we all gotta be happy clappy or whatever, you know, but there is this piece where I think there, are, I've encountered many people who would say they believe in joy, the joy of the spirit of God. And yet it doesn't seem like they've yet informed their face. <laughs> Right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like where this abstract thing versus actually going, man, there there's a joy to be had in Jesus, in yeah. life with him, a joy that's not dependent on your circumstances or how well life is going on. you know, but a joy that can be present in the midst of even the hardest circumstances because yeah. of the spirit, like the presence of
1: his and, and the really life. extreme version of this is almost like a deism, like of. Uh, God is the watchmaker who created the world and then threw a book at us and is like, I'll maybe come back later. Um, And you can read this little instruction book, but I don't want to be with you. I don't really care about communing with you. You just do those rules, and I'll come back later and get you. Um, Well, let's flip it. Mm -hmm. What what does it look like when the Spirit is detached from, from the Word and people are pressing into the Spirit, pressing into prayer, Pressing into like gifts of the Spirit, but not really under the authority um, and and deep engagement with Scripture.
0: Mm, That's great. Uh, One symptom I've seen uh, of this can be a performance mentality, kind of like you see in some uh, uh, circles where it's almost like who's having the most ecstatic experiences with God or who's had the most seeing the most healing encounters or seeing the most uh, prophetic word, you know, like uh, where who's like, basically where's the most extravagant, whatever stuff going on, you know? And uh, and that can lead to a certain form of legalism or performance where it's like, uh, you can feel unstable in your own walk with God if you're not seeing those. And, yeah. uh, and I think even for those who have experienced or seen those things, it tends to be seasons, you know, and there's other seasons and you hit dark night of the soul or whatever, and you're kind of wondering, Am I okay with Jesus right now you know mm-hmm. if you're on that spirit side of the spectrum and maybe the underlying diagnostic question there is to go do I need to have the experience to know that I'm okay with God you know because mm-hmm. uh, I think a healthy understanding of the word will go dude Jesus is faithful even when we're unfaithful even when I'm not like like there's a stability in who he is and his grace to- for- towards us and his presence with us and for us that's even bigger than I can see or perceive or comprehend and so uh, I think one one sign of uh, health we want to move forward is there's a stability we, we we want the experience paul talks about eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit we yeah. want them but we're not reliant on them to know that we're okay with god and i, I think a related one is um at times you can get a manipulation mm. that happens in places where the spirit is really emphasized but not the word you know mm-hmm. you can kind of get this um people can utilize god language to manipulate or get their way or kind of yeah. have a power trip you know and so
1: and you can't argue, you can't argue. they're like hey god told me this yeah, hey, so god if you're, you're going to argue
0: you you take that up with god totally yeah. you're you're arguing with god yeah and and i think one of the reasons that many people feel a hesitation at times for the spirit is because in my experience like often when people have had that kind of language misused you know like yeah. like it really is like dude i don't that I, I don't think I can trust that. Like, that's that's, that's a hard place yeah. to go. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, yeah. Th- those are two that I'd give, kind of the performance mentality. manipulative. How about you? What are some areas? Well, you-
1: well here, here's the thing. I, I would say what I'm most cautious about. And yeah. here's the thing I, I've realized lately is that I kind of drift towards the word without the spirit yeah. because of my upbringing and because of some of the things that I've seen like I grew up in a neighborhood where uh the only Christians I knew were the God told me mm. uh, folks and they were always using God told me this and God told me that and oftentimes their life really didn't reflect the fr- like the fruit of the spirit it didn't reflect um it seemed like they were being manipulative mm. um People were saying, God told me that you were going to be my wife or you are going to be my husband. People, uh, that would have been hard for you to yeah, accomplish, being uh, someone's wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, I'll, I'll tell you a crazy experience. Yeah. Um, all right, so it was like my— I have some family members who are part of a church that has, like, this weird, like, dogs barking in the spirit. No, not dogs, like humans barking like dogs mm-hmm. in the spirit and a lot of manipulative things, and one family member— had a wedding. In that wedding, well, it, my mom was in the wedding party, so it was my my aunt's wedding. And in the middle of the service, the preacher stopped and he looked at my mom. He said, God told me that like today is the day that you are saved. And so, because he doesn't want your sister to go on her honeymoon without, with like knowing that you are going to hell.
0: So this is gosh, in front of everybody man. during wow. the middle of the wedding
1: wow. and saying, wow. okay, so today, will you receive Jesus uh, as your Lord and Savior? Wow. Because you you wouldn't want your sister going on her honeymoon knowing that you're going to hell, would you? And the pressure oh in gosh, front of everybody. Oh, my gosh, man.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. So
1: my mom left. She walked out. She said some pretty savory words. She walked past uh, my old stepdad, former stepdad. I don't know how that works, but... She's like, get over here. <laughs> and they, they walked out. And that was like one of my first impressions. Yeah, And so I am nervous of that, but I recognize that my own nervousness has stifled a real engagement with the Spirit. and um, and, and I think if we can hold it loosely, knowing that God is leading us, guiding us on a daily basis, but we're also, it comes through a muddy filter of our yeah. mind, We may get it wrong. Uh, We may, but we've got to hold it loosely. We've got to test things. We've got to bring community into it. And not, I think when you take, when you say, God told me this and that, and you take no input from anyone else, you could very well be taking the Lord's name in vain, Mm. using the name of the Lord to get whatever you want. Um, So, um,
0: yeah. Well, it's really that's that's really helpful to hear because I think it sheds light, like you mentioned, on yeah. even when people have these gnarly experiences with uh, stuff getting manipulated. You know, um, to give a little my my backstory that I think speaks to maybe the other end, other, other yeah. end of the spectrum as well. Um, so in college, I was kind of newer following Jesus, uh, and I was a part of this environment that was uh, really pretty legalistic. You know, I didn't know it at the time; it's just what I knew. Like, okay, mm-hmm. here I am, and um, it was very word and no spirit, or that was held under extreme suspicion. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of though, man, I I wanna follow you, God. I wanna try and serve you, Jesus. And so I spent a year just doing all of the activity and reading scripture in Bible studies, in prayer gathering and all this stuff, but it was very much like this. Um, I gotta perform for God or get his attention or show him how serious I am through kind of the extreme sort of word end of the spectrum deal, you know. And then I was on this mission trip in Japan, and there's kind of a longer backstory to all this, but I'm really frustrated When I, God, I'm doing all these things, and it doesn't feel like it's working. And I happened to go with a Japanese believer I met, you know, as I was doing this ministry stuff over the summer. And he brought me to his church, and it was a, it was a vineyard church, so they, you know, they were— uh, charismatic, but I, I tend to find Vineyard often a, a very healthy expression to some of those things, and and um and they, they
1: wear a lot of Hawaiian shirts. Too. Yes,
0: they do wear a lot of Hawaiian shirts. I don't yes. know why. <laughs> and uh, and at the end, you know, but one of these that struck me in this church was like it was like um it wasn't characterized by the same striving that my own life with Christ in the culture I was in was. Mm. You know, they seemed to be able to rest in the love of God yeah. for them, and there was this joy, and and it's not like they weren't doing stuff; they were doing, it, but it was like. It came with a different atmosphere. It was like God was present. And I remember at the end of the service, they did what they called ministry time, and they uh, invited people to, you know, come forward for prayer if they wanted. And So um, I was saying, all right, I'll come forward for prayer. And as I go up, I'm in line, and I start seeing people, like, falling down, like slain in the spirit, I think, whatever. And I remember feeling really suspicious, going, I'm not going to do that, you know. And, and so I, I kind of go up, like, with I remember my heels set and just kind of, like, bracing myself for, like, I want prayer, But I don't want to be manipulative. I don't want anything to happen. And so I'm I'm just kind of bracing myself. And this guy from—you know, most of the picture was Japanese, but there was a guy from Africa there. And he was praying for me. And next thing I knew, just bam! I was, like, flat on my back. (laughs) Like, didn't see it coming. Almost like, what happened? And I just weeping. Mm -hmm. And this guy was praying, speaking— words of the father into me and not even it was like he was reading my mail like not even knowing what was going on and speaking into the depths of my soul and so for me at times i think kind of the the you know yeah on the flip side like the hunger yeah. uh, and, it, and it sparked this whole journey then for the the years after of just encountering uh, god through his spirit in some of those kind of ways and things, yeah you know um, where it felt like it was bringing Rivers of life giving water into kind of a dry and parched and barren heart, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. And, and so, yeah, yeah it, it's, yeah. Totally. It's,
1: well, and, and I think that two things. One is I think you're one of the people in my mind who holds these things together the best. Um, and because you have one of the deepest hungers for the word of God, but your engagement with the word is not as this. Disconnected textbook, but it's um, flows from your communion with with uh, Jesus and uh, is prayerfully engaged and like throughout the day are listening to God and the things that you're doing throughout the day. So, um, I think what's helpful to people. Would be helpful to people is kind of just say, "Hey, look at your background and look at the weird people that you've met <laughs> and how yes. they're shaping your engagement <laughs> yes. of, the fruit of the spirit." And if you are like, "I don't know any weird people," you are the weird person that is making <laughs> things weird for people. So, uh, you know, we should move on.
0: Sure, yeah. There is other other priorities but, here. That's a good, that's but, a big one. No,
1: so but I actually want to tell one more story. Go for it. And here is why: because we gave the stories of kind of like the extremes when that, and I, but I think a lot of times it's not the, it's absolutely right or it's absolutely wrong. So I'll make a long story short. About a decade, no, 15 years ago, my wife and I, uh, we took a, a nap. Um, she wakes up. She says that she has a dream and it really felt like it was from God. Mm-hmm. And it was a picture uh, of her mind and of this Pakistani woman in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and she just feels like god is stirring something in her and so i start interpreting what i think god is doing mm-hmm. in this dream uh, and it was like that pakistan is this country that was wounded and she kind of embodies pakistan mm-hmm. and like represents she yeah, she's representative mm-hmm. and it needs healing and maybe god is calling us to move to pakistan and we start talking about what would it look like for us to move to pakistan and everything like that this is on our way to move to turkey like should we change plans and everything so a few hours later we go and we're walking out of our house we're going somewhere and there is a group of people who are celebrating ramadan and it's all pakistani people in our apartment Mm. And uh, our apartment complex, they weren't in our apartment. That would be kind of weird if they were just like in the living room. But um, we we go out there and they invite us to their Ramadan meal. And the men are outside and the women are inside and they're just eating separately. And Jenny goes in there with the women. And there is that woman from her dream is there. And she tells her, like, I had this dream about you. God sees you. He cares for you. Wow. And, and this woman who was kind of pushed to the margins of the room and wasn't having oh a, attention, she was brought to the centerpiece of the room. And Jenny starts praying for her. And uh, like tears, there's like tears in the room from so many of the women. And this woman who wow. was on the margins is being brought to oh, the man. centerpiece of it. And it's this powerful moment. And we walk away. And it was like, was God speaking? Was he stirring something? Yeah absolutely yeah did we like
0: fully it? understand yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> totally. no it was not
1: this big metaphor it was like God's like hey there's gonna be this woman totally. pay attention to her totally. <laughs> not like totally here's a dream about the economy of Pakistan or something <laughs>
0: <like that. laughs> yeah so. well really quick on that you know it's funny you mentioned that just uh this week my daughter and I we were reading the story of Joseph you know and and yeah. Pharaoh having these dreams and it kind of brings Joseph in and one of the things I was talking with with her about was like yeah these three elements often with, you know, you have the revelation, the interpretation, and the application, mm-hmm. and those three being distinct in scripture. You know, you've got, Pharaoh's got the revelation, he's got the dream, but he doesn't have the interpretation. He doesn't understand it. He needs Joseph to come be able to interpret it for him, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so often like, we may have one element, but not the other. Then you see other examples in scripture where they have the revelation and the interpretation but they miss the or don't have the application so mm-hmm. there's like where Paul there's this vision this word from the spirit that dude if he goes to Jerusalem Paul's going to die you know or whatever or if he go, I'm I'm watching the details yeah, but yeah, yeah. but there's this uh revelation and the revelation is right and the interpretation is right that if Paul goes like he's facing death or persecution mm-hmm. or whatever but then, then the application they think he shouldn't go they think he shouldn't go they're yeah. like well the application means you shouldn't go and Paul's like no all the more you know it's, it's giving him a heads up of what's coming but yeah. he's like Emboldened and yeah, and so all that to say too is that one of the reasons we want to do a campaign like this is just a lot of beautiful complexity. Yeah, these topics and totally press into these together as a church.
1: Yeah, so um, be on the lookout for that probably summer. So you'll be hearing more about kind of a a a season, a campaign we're going to push into. Um, But let's move on to the second one. Uh, The second one is the second priority is. Practical wisdom for all of life discipleship. So, we were getting a ton of really good feedback in the listening sessions of saying this vision of all of life is really helpful. I love it. I love the fact that we press into big questions, big issues, um, that it's not just, you know, theology disconnected from life. But I could hear in someone's voices, there was this like, but, but, <laughs> maybe there's something. And a, a theme was that there's a hunger for how do you live this out? Mm, yes. Like, how do we actually engage in these things? Um, so connecting the why with the how.
0: Mm.
1: And this doesn't mean we're going to downplay our theological or philosophical emphasis, but it means that we want to provide more tangible tools to help people not just be hearers of the word but obey uh like like it says in James um so so when it comes to this uh a number of a number of uh uh like practical things popped up so it was like people want to know how to engage scripture uh how to do good financial stewardship how to pray um, how to engage in conflict resolution? How to do dating well? Um, you know, how to deal with anxiety? Those sorts of things. For you, Josh, um, when when we think about this, what are some of the like important themes that you think we need to connect the how and the why?
0: Yeah, great. Together? Yeah. Well, first off, just to own, man, we do need to connect. it this is an area that I've been wanting to grow in myself because mm-hmm. I think you know, just by nature, by temperament, or whatever, I can be uh, way more prone to the the why, like the abstract, the conceptual, mm-hmm. kind of get stuck in my head, easy, you know, thinking about big picture, all that. I had an assistant once years ago who uh, she's like, Josh, you're um, you're amazing at planning the picnic but you suck at buying ketchup. <laughs> you know, like, like you're great with the big picture. But you're, you're, you're horrible with like the practical detail. And so just owning like, man, that's an area that I personally have been wanting to grow in just kind of realizing like, man, it's, it's really important. Like both for the sake of um, our own growth as disciples of Jesus, being able to put flesh on the bones of what we believe and live this out. And for witness as well, you know, that we would actually embody the kind of life that God has for us in all these different areas. And live into you know this all of life vision that that we have. Um, I think you've mentioned this, and I think you're spot on too that you see a hunger for this in our culture right now, even with some of the uh, type of books and things that are extremely mm-hmm. popular right now. Um, yeah, I, what were some? You had mentioned some some things that you're seeing just to, that speak to this hunger. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you think of like John Tyson as a good example. He's got this intentional father. Thing where he's like creating rituals that help uh, kids, boys move into manhood, mm. um, and it's really practical, but it's driven by a rich theological vision. Mm. I think a lot of John Mark Comer's stuff, his on on busyness and rest, um, has a really rich theological vision behind it, but it's also pretty mm. practical. practical. On here's how you actually do that. Um, and I think we live in such a complex world, mm. where uh, where we almost have to rethink everything all the time. Mm. Historically, in agrarian societies, most things were given. Yeah. You like you take the Sundays do. off, you work these hours. Um, here's who who are you going to spend time with? Well, it's these people who live in your village. Like yeah. that's <laughs> for better or for worse. Um, there were common rituals common traditions common work hours and now there's none of that people working all the time there's all these different mm-hmm. sorts of things so there needs to be some deep thought to the to the how do we actually do this mm. and 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 i think again if we're thinking of like extremes on one hand there's like a cheesy pragmatism which is just like here's five tips for whatever and uh, it doesn't. It's not connected to a rich theological vision. And then on the other extreme, there's an idealistic pontification um, where it's just uh, always talking about things, never actually doing them, never mm. integrating them mm. into life. Mm. For for you, like getting personal. Yeah. What's an area of life where you feel like you might have a. Uh, Theological uh, understanding of that you care deeply about, but you haven't put in the time to, to or
0: mm-hmm. maybe yeah. you want to
1: grow in.
0: Yes, totally. No, honestly, the biggest one uh, would have to do with uh, family. You know, I'm mm. going like, dude, I, my my kids are. You know, my daughter is about to become a teenager, and my boys are getting bigger, and I feel like the level of um, uh, rhythms and things that we've had for kind of discipleship and things of that nature have been sufficient for this last season that we've been in. But I'm looking ahead and kind of going, man, I feel like we're about to step into uncharted waters. And I know the why, I know the theology, I know the whatever, but man, I actually am going, God, I, I want to grow in the how. Of how How do I intentionally shepherd my children life with christ in the season mm. head and prepare them for it's kind of hitting like man how short the time is until potentially you know my daughter could be going off to college and my boys are in high school and facing all sorts of things you know and and uh and i'm realizing man this is a a real time this next couple of years for really being intentional with how i'm investing in them and i i don't i don't think i've yet thought through the how Well Mm -hmm. enough to actually maximize the season ahead, and I want to, you know. Yeah, that would be that would be one area. Yeah, absolutely. How about for you? Um.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I mean, being honest, I think that there's a. Um. I, I can think very creatively about the how of a lot of different things like my prayer life, my engagement with my daughter has a really out of the box creative ways of doing how, Mm -hmm. but then there are some of the just like normal, straightforward. This is how people should do things. Um, Like that. I tend to, to be less connected to and less versed in. Um, You know, one of them would be uh, finances. Like we're, I think we're we're pretty decent when it comes to stewardship, but I know that there's a degree of intentionality that I could have that's going to set me up to love others better in the future. Um, So, yeah, that would be one for me. And then since the rest of our congregation isn't here to answer for themselves, I'm going to answer for them. I know that so many people deeply, deeply believe in conflict resolution and peacemaking and what Scripture has to say about it, but when it but sometimes the process of actually how to do that gets so it's so unintentional mm. that it actually makes the conflict worse. And so, learning how to be peacemakers, I think, would be mm. really important. And uh, the how is not the most important question but because it's not the most important question, I think it be- becomes an overlooked question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. You know. So moving from there, let's uh let's talk about um number 3 is uh family culture. Um So in family culture, uh r- rather than describing exactly what we talk about conceptually, I just want to give people a, f- a snapshot there's something we're aiming for if you were around last easter and you were at the barbecue after the easter service there was this dynamic like feeling of family where there's tables who are open people are getting to know each other there's the smell of barbecue and it just feels like family yes um and so uh Family and, culture, yeah.
0: Yeah, maybe just to clarify on that too, when we say family, what we're we're not saying is, hey, let's invest everything only in families, like nuclear families, that kind of thing. What we're saying is that as a church, we want to be a church family. And I think we, the barbecue you're talking about post-Easter speaks to that, where it was a sense of like, man, we all belong. We are together as, um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God. And uh, the reality is New Testament, the dominant image that gets used for the church is that a family, being the family of God. Um, one of the main ways it shows up is the language or imagery of the body, where every the church being a body where everyone has a place, uh, the eyes and the ears. And in the ancient world, uh, the body was an image for like a family or a nation, like a group of people who had a you know shared life together and a common identity and all. And that uh, we see threaded throughout the New Testament as well, this language of uh, us being brothers and sisters. And, uh, man, Paul talks about, man, treating older men as fathers and older women as mothers and and each other as brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. And I think especially in some of the listening sessions and conversations, um, that includes, like, for a number of folks who are uh, single, you know, as well. One, one common theme had been things like, um, man, uh, a desire for belonging and mm-hmm. a place in, uh, in, in the family of the church and many finding that. But us wanted to grow and be in a place where it's like, dude, we're, we're all family together in yep. Christ. As members of the body of Christ, we are to be family together. And what does it look like for us yeah. to press into that?
1: Yeah, it was really interesting uh, because it really what you're describing is a, is a posture of unofficial adoption where we're adopting one another. We've all been adopted by God. And so we're adopting one another as brother and sister and older folks in the church are adopting, uh, uh, grandkids and having being unofficial grandparents and big brothers and big sisters. And one of the things I heard was young parents, um, feeling so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed with, uh, raising kids. And part of that comes from the idea of the nuclear family is pretty recent invention, um whereas most families throughout history have had layers where grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles are helping to like care for kids and raise kids and everything. And in the church, we are called to be that for one another. And so, you know, you have you have these young families that are struggling. But then on the other hand, you have single folks who are um, feeling alone and feeling disconnected and not having a sense of family, even as they're far from their own family. And uh, what we've experienced in our household is, is like one is that an older brother and sister for my daughter following Jesus is carrying more and more weight as my daughter gets older, Mm -hmm. that there are things that we could say that, uh, if that other person says it, it just seems to carry more weight. Like, of course, mom and dad are going to say that. Um, but then on the flip side, I think that there are some people who've found a space at our table and that have become family to us and, uh, have, uh, have a place in holidays and have a, someone to bounce ideas off of and have someone who's going to interrogate their potential boyfriend and, you know, that sort of thing. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's so powerful. And even you mentioned with your daughter, I I remember reading a study uh, a while back, but it was on, you know, we're not saying this is the only reason pragmatically why, why we want to be about family culture, but I think it shows its power and potential is we're saying that um, kids who grow up in the church and then when they leave the home, they go off to college or go off to whatever, what are the marks of those who tend to stay mm-hmm. in the faith versus those who leave? And uh, there were three main marks, but one of the big ones was they had other people outside of their nuclear family from their church, older people who invested in them. And if they, if they knew at least five older people in their church who were relationally connected to them and invested with the, with them, like that was a major game changer, which I think speaks to the power of the church's family where, you know, I belong and it's not just. Because of my nuclear family, but it's actually we're we're a church family.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Jesus invites into us into this. This isn't something we're like making up. Like this is how the church has talked about itself from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And even when Jesus is kind of drawing this, these lines of saying like, "Who are my who's my mother? Who's my my brother?" Uh, and pointing to those who are a part of the kingdom family. Uh, As
0: that. Yeah. He also says, you know, no one who's left, you know, farm and, you know, no one's left brothers and sisters and so on uh, for the sake of the kingdom, one will forget the exact word, you know, but will not inherit as much in this life. Yeah. He's not, we can sometimes read that as like, okay, in the afterlife or whatever, you know. But Jesus is actually talking about here and now, like, dude, you're, when you follow me and you enter into my kingdom, you're being invited to a family where, uh, he says you receive even more, you know, like yeah. in this life that we are to share together as his people.
1: Yeah, so so to tease this out a little bit, if the family is the dominant metaphor for describing how we relate to each other as a church, I'm going to throw out some other metaphors um, that w- we can tend to have. We can tend to think of the mm. church in this way, and maybe we can have a discussion around how that changes our perception of the church. Yeah. So. Uh, why don't we start with um if we think of the church as like mm, a hospital? Mm-hmm. yeah, was the between hospital and a family?
0: Yes, uh, how does
1: that change the way that we
0: engage? I come when I'm in need. I come when I'm sick, I come when I hit rock bottom. I come when uh, I'm a wreck, you know, um, but once I kind of get back to health, all right. I'm out, you know. Like, like there's, yeah. there's a sense of like, uh that you don't get layers of having gifts to bring to the common life together. You yeah, know? Um, and so I, and the hospital speaks to a truth that we all find ourselves like in need of grace and mercy and healing and restoration that Christ loves to bring. That's only a slice of it, and if that's all only image we have, then I think yeah, the church can become like an institution we go to when we're at our last resort. Yeah. Yeah, all totally. the preventative health options, so to speak, have totally been drained away. I don't know. What do you think there? Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. Well, and then it, what it does is it splits the church mm. into two categories of people. You've got your your professionals uh, who are there to do the like healing and the the distribution of <laughs> medicine, and and then you have the wounded uh, folks. When in the reality is that we're all wounded, broken part of the family of Christ, uh, family, uh, and that we, um, church leadership should take the posture of fathers and mothers, but within the family, everyone has ownership and caring for one another. Someone gets hurt in a family, like it's the family rallies around, uh, -hmm. to, to help them, not just the professionals. What about, uh, what about a metaphor of like a, um, a classroom, or uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The primary objective is ideas transmitting information, you know. And so, um, yeah, I, I, there was a sermon a while back where I, I talked about <laughs> kind of like the idea of uh us approaching our gathering not as the the lecture hall but the living room, you know. But yeah, like mm-hmm. the lecture, I think often. In American church culture, there can kind of be this, like, dude, I go to church, it's the lecture hall, it's the go where I, I sit quietly, maybe I got my notepad out, and I'm like taking notes because I'm receiving information, you know? Yeah. And again, there's a splice, as a reality going like, dude, there is instruction and, mm-hmm. good, you know, teaching is uh, something God's entrusted to his church and, and, um, and all that, but that's a splice Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not uh, I don't know how about for you what stands out yeah
1: absolutely well I think that that again what it does is it 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 makes an approach toward corporate gathering of saying I need to get some interesting helpful nuggets and learn something you do like it's it's helpful it's important that we're we're learning something but when uh, when a family is learning something together, they're learning it for uh, the formation of the people in the family, mm-hmm. not just to carry some head knowledge. Yeah. And you you are not just uh, concerned about your own formation, but you're concerned about everyone's uh, formation. So if you're sitting there saying, "Oh, I didn't like, I didn't learn something new. I've heard this all before." Well, the main point was to not give you an interesting like Bible nugget, but the question that you ask is: This is the mandate for what the family looks like. Mm. How am I living into that? Mm. Who? Uh, how am I pressing uh, into this? Um, I heard a story. This is I uh, uh, I don't. I think this is a little extreme. But um, there was like a tribe where the gospel was brought to this tribe and um, the, someone was coming to church and they, they came and there was a new believer and there wasn't a history of Christianity in this tribe. And the leadership noticed that there, was, that, that there were people who would only show up like once every two or three weeks to the corporate gathering. And when they started asking people why, they said, "Well, I heard the sermon, and it took me like two or three weeks to like really live into it and really obey it. And then when I did that, I came back to to hear something else. Now that's a, that's a little extreme, yeah. But there's something to be said of saying like, you're not coming here to uh, learn something interesting, uh, but to more hear God's address and like live into it as a family.
0: That's good. Really quick on that too. I think it's worth noting." When we have the classroom as the primary metaphor, which I think many of us in our culture today do for church, then in our podcast type age, whatever you no longer need it. You know, mm-hmm. if the only reason, if the main primary even you know goal is I go to download some information, it's like, well, I can do that on my phone now. You know, and better teaching. There are better teachers out there than me or you, you know, than us. Like like there's there's uh, there's um, great teaching out there, uh, but. Uh, and I, But I do think that, I mean, I, I do believe strongly that there's something unique that happens through the proclamation of God's word live together as a gathering, a community who's pressed into the gospel together. So I don't want to undermine that. Um, but as you're saying, like this family image goes, it's, it's it's more than just the information. You can't download family on the internet. You know, yeah. like, you, yeah, that's something you've got to live into. Totally,
1: together. totally. Um, last one on this, uh, a mall. Like if we're conceiving uh, the church as a mall, uh, a mall focused on religious goods and services, let's uh, like like a Tempe Marketplace or mm. something like that. Um, how does that change our engagement?
0: Totally. So I think definitely it's like the consumer mindset where I'm coming to like, okay, I, I, I'm gonna shop and, you know, different churches become like different stores in the mall and which one has the products the way I like it or what I need, you know, where it's really um, seems like it it uh, it's driven more by consumer preference and what I want to get out of this versus God's word and address to us as his people, his yeah. family. Um, yeah. I don't know how about for yeah, you.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it not only turns, like, churches into products— but it actually turns people into mm. products. And so you're like, I'm going to go be a part of this small group. Hey, I wasn't th- these weren't the type of people that I was uh mm. that I was in the market for. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, it, it, uh you're looking around and you're saying like, "Oh, how can I find I've got this very specific order for a friend that mm-hmm. I'm like uh looking to have." Um whereas in a family you don't get to choose these people. Yeah. Like they are your brothers and sisters. Uh, you love them. You learn to be to live with them. You learn to be committed to them, and you may fight with them, but you're 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 sticking it out with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, if if someone else throws your brother or sister under the bus, you're yeah. like, no, that's that's not going to happen. But I think that viewing the the church as a family. Is the, one of the biggest things that we can do to bear witness to the uniqueness of Jesus in a very divided time. Um, if you view someone as a product, you're saying this version of political preference or style or the coffee they like to drink or whatever, eh, it doesn't really fit me. I'll just get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Family's the opposite of cancel culture. Mm-hmm. It says, we are bound together in love and in covenant, even though you might be weird uh, and you and and I'd have a hard time liking you. We're going to learn to love Jesus together, and both of us are going to be shaped more into the image of the Father through the process. That's
0: good. See, so, yeah, if I can throw one more in there too, that just comes to mind. But uh, the metaphor of uh, factory
1: you mm. know, that
0: I think for many people implicitly uh, there can be this sense of like, dude, I'm going. You know, the church is a place where God needs my gifts, God needs me to serve more, to do these things, to bring my money, to do whatever, you know, like there can be this sense of God wants wants me as a worker, you know, primarily, Mm -hmm. uh, but not necessarily as beyond that, like Mm -hmm. who I am. You think about how many people can go to their jobs in our society where it's kind of disconnected. They feel like from who they are, it's like, ah, go punch the time clock and do this stuff, you know? And I think sometimes similarly to church can be approached by some, is like a factory where God needs me to kind of put in my hours, do my thing, punch the time card, and get get my quote unquote paycheck, you know, of like, all right, I'm good with God, whatever you're gonna go on with life. And when you think about family, in contrast to that, it's like there is still contribution. It's like, mm-hmm. Dude, we're all, it, 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 it's a potluck. It's not It's not the restaurant where, you know, you're, you're going to be served to our preferences and paying for the meal. It's like, yeah, you, you're bringing what you have to the family table, but you're doing so in a context of belonging and mm-hmm. of actually you're seen and known, not just for the contribution you bring, but for the person you are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I resonate with that a ton, especially because of what that means for, uh, those who are struggling, those who have uh, various disabilities, um, that your priority in the church is not based on your production. Um, The church even centers and gives more attentiveness to those uh, who are in the vulnerable spots. And maybe you can't uh, produce uh, uh, in the same way that you think about uh, production. Um, So, yeah, I I think um, the three things we're going to push into over the next year, word and spirit, uh, practical wisdom for all of life. And the third would be family culture. You're going to hear about initiatives. You're going to hear about plans for us to, to actually uh, do that and to implement it. Uh, please be praying because we're in the planning stage right now and solidifying things. If you got ideas, feel free to send them. Doesn't mean we'll do them. But as a part of the family, everyone can bring ideas to the table. And uh, you might get some, uh, get some work out of it. So... Uh, Please be praying uh, as this uh, moves forward. And I want to just end with this at the top of our page uh, on our strategic plan document. Um, We've got a little prayer. I'm just going to end with this and then we'll wrap it up. Father, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. You're the head of the church. This is our best attempt to respond to your invitation. God, would you lead us into your priorities? Lead us away from anything that's contrary to your heart and ultimately lead us to your posture, to a posture of dependence. We recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. We ask that you take these goals, these aspirations, these priorities into your hands and uh, break that which is foolish and bless that which actually comes from you. Like bread and fish, we ask that you take these things into your hands and provide a nourishing feast for your people, for your city, and for your world.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All of Life podcast. To get more information on Redemption Church Tempe, you can download the Redemption Tempe app, or you can send an email to tempe at redemptionaz.com.